Trends seem to circulate faster than ever before thanks to social media. But just because butterboards and baked sheet pan sushi might be everywhere on TikTok, does that translate to print books? Welcome to Everything Cookbooks, the podcast for readers, writers, and cooks. I'm Kate Leahy, and today I'm here with Kristen and Molly. Hey, everyone. Hey. Hi, Kate. Kristen. So this is actually also our last episode of 2023. So I can't wait to talk a little bit about trends and then also maybe what we have in store for 2024. But before we get into that, let's go back to my original question about food trends. I mean, Kristen, you used to work at Food & Wine. How important were food trends? How much time did you spend with food trends? Food trends were basically currency, <laughs> food and wine, or that's like how I think about them now, because our coverage was often very trend driven. And sometimes that meant trends that started in restaurants. Other times it was trends that started maybe in like specialty food. But I was always looking for trends and always, you know, pitching them. And it would basically be like if you identified something first, it was Mm. a big deal. Oh, so if you were the first one to say like, what would be a trend? Do you remember a trend that you identified that you were super excited about? Yeah. So I have a little secret for identifying trends, Mm. which in this world, it's hard to know if it's still <laughs> the same just because we have information coming at us so quickly all the time. But, you know, trends go in cycles. And I feel like when you start to sense that it's been such a long time since there was something, it often comes back. For example, basically the the death of the butcher shop. Mm. It felt like so many old school butchers had closed. There were just a few remaining. And I was like, there must be some young people who are really interested in butchery. And so, um, yeah, I just started doing some internet research and then found, sure enough, yeah, like, and, you know, they say three is a trend. So it'd be like, I found my three shops. So we did a story all about the new school of butchers. I remember that time because there were all of a sudden in every sort of, um, you know, a type of neighborhood or city or town that had sort of a, you know, for lack of a better term, a hipster vibe, like flannel shirts, beanies that there was like, there was that artisanal butcher shop. Yeah. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it like, it happened really fast. It did. And there was already like an artisanal ling Mm -hmm. (laughs) of so many other things. So it just made sense to me that like, oh, there's got to be butcher shops out there. But again, this is like really before social media. So it was like doing a lot of deep Googling instead. Yeah. I also feel like it used to be trends would start in restaurants and then trickle Mm -hmm. down. You'd see that was sort of something that was talked about that you would follow what's happening in restaurants and then we'd see it appearing in home cooking recipes, Mm -hmm. books and things like that. And I am not a trend spotter, but certainly a trend watcher. And I feel like that's not true anymore so much. I mean, certainly it's still true to some point, but things also come up from Mm. home cooks. I agree. I think that it just reminds me of The Devil Wears Prada, the movie where, (laughs) um, I mean, I know it was based on a book, but I'm thinking about the movie and there's a scene. Yes, there's a scene (laughs) with Meryl Streep and she is basically explaining where trends come from and how the the cheap blue belt or sweater or whatnot, the reason that that blue is in vogue was because so-and-so and and just like traces back the trend. It started on this high end and now it's like an old Navy and she was very dismissive of that. And that was how 
how I, I remember something would happen in restaurants. Burrata was an example. Burrata started mm-hmm. off in restaurants and then it burrata, burrata, burrata. Now it doesn't even feel there's nothing fresh to say about burrata. There probably is. It just feels like it kind of got to a, a saturation point. But you're right. That's not how trends kind of circulate these days. Yeah. I mean, it feels like they can start from many sources of inspiration. And you mentioned butterboards, which I don't know where like the idea of a butterboard totally came from. But I know that at least like the major TikToks trend, it was Justine Snacks sharing a recipe from a book. Huh. So it actually kind of started with a book which is pretty cool. That really is interesting. Okay, so let's, since you Mm -hmm. mentioned social media, which is the big elephant in the room when it comes to food trends right now at this moment um, in December uh, 2023, what do we think about social media? Like I'm thinking about when I think of a, say, TikTok food trend, it's what you said, butterboards. It's um, nacho tables where you see somebody like put out an entire table, cover it with foil. And instead of it being like a crawfish boil, it's nachos (laughs) on the table. Um, That's one I've seen. There's also where you take like a deli sandwich and you chop it up really fine. So it looks like a really messy chopped salad. But I feel like a chopped salad might be better. I don't know. And then, you know, things that are like mashups, like you have tuna pizza waffle. Like, what is that? I don't know, but it's a mashup. And it's like, oh, I want to know what that is. So this is just to me is a little it can make your brain crazy. If you're trying to figure out what is going to have sort of a long term lasting impact on the way we eat. And what is one of these flash in the pan, unicorn, rainbow, everything, and then you you forget about it in the year. Mm -hmm. What what do you think? Like, where is this all going? Oh, man. It's so funny because I realized I was actually a little exhausted by trends when I was like interviewing to do this project that was about identifying trends. And they were like, yeah, you know, you just should set up a separate TikTok account to use it just for watching food trends. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, gosh, what's going to have legs? I don't, I mean, I guess if it's really delicious, right? I don't know, Molly, do you have, do you have some thoughts there? (laughs) (laughs) It's entertaining. I find Mm -hmm. it entertaining. Um, It can be, yeah. I mean, it can be, but it can also be, you know, there's that <laughs> revulsion is too strong of a word, but sometimes I see things. I'm like, oh gosh, don't like. I mean, you talk about you talk about charcuterie boards or butter boards. We started with, but charcuterie boards are something that have changed. I mean, charcuterie has been around for a very, very long time. Yes. <laughs> Putting sliced meats and cheeses out to serve people, you know, forever. But this super curated, everything chopped up made into a design that looks like, I mean, there are competitions for this mm-hmm. where, you, yeah. and I just have this like, don't touch my, f- like, yeah, right. there's like, too many, I always think about the, the hands. There's I'm many, like, the mortadella roses are, aren't yeah, and I'm, sure, I, I'm sure there, you know, people are, you know, using gloves and, and doing it in a sanitary manner or whatever, but, <laughs> but there's something overwrought about so many uh, trends. And I mean, but at the same time, we want to strive for new, new ideas. We want to strive for things that, I mean, not me personally, I'm, I don't know that I've ever, have I ever thought, oh, what if I went viral? What if one of my recipes mm. went viral? I mean, I know that that's a goal for some people. And I mean, yeah. I can't say it's ever happened. So I don't know what, you know, what kind of rush comes along with that. But I don't think anybody who creates a trend knows they've created a trend because it's not a trend the first time. And I have, I'm sure we've all seen people going on social media saying, I did this first sort of mm. thing. And yeah, yeah. I, those sort of sour grapes to me, it doesn't matter if you did it first. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it's cool if you you can really claim it, but 
what makes a trend stick, we don't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do think there's probably a deliciousness factor, right? Like something like burrata is a great example. Where, we hope. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where once people try it, you're like, wow, that's just really delicious. Where some of these other things, I don't know, using cheese as a wrapper, it's mm. like... It's delicious, but it's greasy. Like, you know, is that is that actually tasty? There's a lot of stunty food on TikTok. Stunty food. That's a good food. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's interesting using the burrata as an example, but (laughs) there's ingredients that become trendy, which is a kind of trend. But the recipe or the dish or the stunt or the, you know, the nacho board, I mean, with burrata, it became available at the same time. You know, it it became Mm -hmm. popular, then it became available, then, then it went from being a trend to just being, I don't want to say commonplace, but right. whereas there's a new trend, or not new, but a uh, recent trend of people watching trends, like watching TikToks and then doing those reaction videos to oh, them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. This is very meta. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking, well, I have a couple of thoughts. One thought is raspberry vinaigrette needs to come back because that was a huge thing. And then it got so tired. But like, I feel like it could have a moment now. Yeah. I think it was if, if it was like really fresh, yeah. you know, like not like a, I could see like a homemade raspberry vinegar. Right. right. Like we're talking about food, like ingredient trends. And then like Martha Holmberg, when she I was, was just on the episode. That. Yeah. Yep. The, you know, sun-dried tomatoes, poor beleaguered oh, sun-dried tomatoes. They deserve, you know, a little love. I just did a recipe uh, for a white bean dip with sun-dried tomatoes, Hopefully. actually, yeah. in Real Food, the yeah. magazine. I was thinking that. I was like, you know, sun-dried tomatoes. <laughs> so it seems that, you know, we can say there's, there's stunt food. And then there's sort of ingredients that maybe find a new life or ingredients that just have more availability. So they just become sort of more commonplace. But let's like kind of pivot back to cookbooks and how trends either impact cookbooks. Can a trend drive a cookbook? You know, we can start with charcuterie boards. One thing with I think it's that cookbook, Beautiful Boards. It's still selling like crazy. Mm-hmm. And it has also spawned a lot of interest in publishers who want their version of that book. They want yep. a version of like these curated boards where it's that idea of great taste and flavor with, but it's more about curation and not spending hours cooking in the kitchen. I think that's mm-hmm. where it fits into this idea of like people want great taste, but they don't want to spend all these hours in the kitchen like they did during the pandemic. There's also that that sort of like girl dinner trend where yeah, was, you can have yeah. crackers and cheese. And what do we think? Like our charcuterie board books, that seems like a trend, I would think maybe with a longer term potential. It's almost like a genre mm. at this point, I feel. I've actually used this as an example in the class, like when I teach people about writing cookbook proposals to not necessarily panic if their idea is done. You might want to panic if somebody does your idea and it doesn't sell well. But like if your idea is done and it's selling well and it's popular, like then publishers, just like you said, they're going to want their version of that. So I don't know. I think there were like 10 different versions of this book already. And then I saw barcuterie, charcuterie boards for dogs. I've seen seacuterie, seacuterie for seafood. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I was thinking about Hard Knocks, the HBO series that went, goes behind the scenes of an NFL team. And they, they were filming the Jets this off season. And these players got together. It was like the offensive or defensive linemen. And they all got together just to hang out. And one of them was really into charcuterie and they wanted to teach the other linemen on, I think it was a defensive lineman on how to make these boards. And someone was like, show crute. What the heck is this? And it was just like kind of endearing. I don't know. But then, you know, a trend has jumped the shark. I get it's funny, though, because that is a whole 
it's like a business for some people where they teach people how to make them. They have workshops. And then obviously then there's people who are like really crafty and they make boards of all sizes. But I was going to say, I think there's another book coming out called Everyday Snack Board Mm. to address maybe people who like the idea of eating snacks, but don't necessarily want to have to impress visually. I don't know. I I love how you can just constantly like, well, what's a twist on it that resonates for me? Right. Or what's the overriding, like the charcuterie board, the snack board, the girl dinner, what connects all of those? And it's this idea of, you know, snack-based eating or curated Mm -hmm. snack, you know, sort of look for a more broad topic that encompasses a couple trends. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I feel like that way with um, slow drinks. Mm. Danny Childs, who we just spoke to, where he wasn't chasing a trend or anything like that, but drinks, including non-alcoholic drinks, but craft cocktails, that's very big. But then also people getting more into foraging and botanicals, that's very big. So bringing those things together into a book worked well. That's a synthesis of thinking. So, So if you're trying to figure out where things are going, when you're looking at social media, when you're reading a food magazine, when you're reading a the food section of your local newspaper, or the New York Times, or to use your brain to synthesize, you know, to, to have mm-hmm. that kind of instead of just going, oh, there's that thing, but to sort of, I don't know, I'm, I'm not articulating this as well, but to step back and connect the dots, however, mm-hmm. however that works for you, whether it's a Google sheet, whether it's just, a, I could sort of see myself doing a drawing of the various things I see and then trying to step back and like almost let your eyes blur and say, what am I seeing that, you know, what's happening here? That sort Mm -hmm. of thing. You know, is it ingredient driven? Is it plant based? You know, where are people going? Because what you don't want is to, I mean, we talk about the long term and we'll we'll talk more about that, you know, playing the long game. But um, if you're trying to get a book that's that's really on trend, you don't want to miss it. Yeah. You know, I think it used to be when publishers notice trends and we'll talk a little bit more about how publishers pay attention to trends. But it used to be, say, the publisher would say, we need smoothie book. So they would hire somebody, maybe it was a work for hire, and they would pay a food writer, recipe developer to develop, say, 40 smoothie recipes, which is a lot of smoothie recipes when you think about it. And maybe that person just gets paid one lump sum. They never get royalties, but the publisher has has kind of tested out making sure they have a product that fits the smoothie market. And that's one Mm -hmm. way it used to be. Nowadays, I would think that if a publisher wanted a smoothie book, they would go after an influencer who had a platform based on smoothies. So they would guarantee that it wasn't just the publisher who's trying to sell this book. And it's sort of a, it's almost an anonymous author. It's more that the publisher wants to publish this book and use that platform to help sell more copies. Mm. Yes. I mean, I think there's still a little bit of the first way where they, they find the author, but it's true. If there is somebody who is already building an audience around that topic, I would imagine they'd go for go for that person first. So, you know, something I wanted to bring up that I think when I was trying, like debating taking on this trend project, it just hit me like, it's like, well, a trend for whom, right? Oh. So we're in, in the United States. So it's often like for people in the U.S., but I just saw like McCormick release their flavor of the year and it's tamarind, you know, and I was like, tamarind's like for, I think, billions of people, like a daily ingredient. And here it's like, ooh, look at this. It's novel. It's new. And mm-hmm. so I, I just think that's just something to 
when talking about trends, like to be a little mindful mm-hmm. of like, like, who is this a trend for? And Right. Good point. And it's not only parts of the world, but it's also age demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, something that totally. is a trend maybe for uh, my pre- parents' generation is not going to be necessarily a trend for the, the Gen Z generation or my generation. So, and I think a lot of trend reporting is focused on what the Gen Z, the millennials are, it used to be everyone wanted to know what the millennials wanted. Now they all want to know what Gen Z wants. And the thing is, um, there's a lot of other people out there outside of those demographics. So I think that's another thing that you, when you were looking at social media, it skews maybe more Gen Z. But are those yeah. the people who are actually buying, say, cookbooks? But they're buying mm-hmm. snacks. <laughs> I, I think it's funny because I think sometimes that's a lot of these food trends. There's organizations trying to predict trends to sell that information to like food companies, you know, so they can create their tamarind snack or whatever. Um, so Gen Z is buying snacks anyway. Right. And I will welcome tamarind snacks. I think tamarind is a oh, lovely. 100%. <laughs> yes. I love it. It's actually Absolutely. one of my favorite flavors. Yeah. Yeah. That can be what that can be, I guess, a, a good thing about naming something a trend is then it becomes more widely available as an ingredient. Well, yeah. And then there are the people, who, you know, the trend setters, the trend makers, the people who, you know, very deliberately use their influence to make something fetch. And we use this. <laughs> That's so fetch. Stop trying to make fetch happen, Molly. But, you know, and then the difference between a, a trend and a shift in just a more general change in attitude or something. I mean, I would hardly say that like plant-based eating is trend is a trend. Agree. It, it, yeah. It's a shift. It is happened. Yeah. It's happening. I I can't imagine. I mean, sure there'll be ebb and flow, but I just can't imagine in the next several decades us going anywhere but more focused on that. Same with um, non-alcoholic cocktails. Absolutely. Like I think that's just going to continue to grow mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's going to be more innovation. Alternate flowers, yeah, right. grains, yeah. So let's talk a little bit, though, on how this affects publishing, because we know how long it takes a book to get out in the world. It's only under very special circumstances where a a book will go from, say, turning in the whole manuscript to published in a matter of months. Those are for very highly sort of um, anticipated, specialized, maybe celebrity books. You know, I'm sure they rushed to print the Britney memoir as fast as they could because they knew (laughs) that book was going to sell bazillions of copies. Right. And your example of the smoothie book, those, you know, we have colleagues who've written books like that. That was, okay, you have two months, you have three months, you have a very short timeline to turn around and deliver these 30, 40 smoothie recipes. You're not getting a royalty because that book is not intended to stick around. It's just going to grab a moment, sell like hotcakes, and then be done. Right. So in general, publishers aren't necessarily the best ones to identify trends oftentimes Mm -hmm. because they have such long lead times and they're usually working a couple of years in advance. It's very hard to predict what book is going to hit two years from now. So Mm -hmm. you can go with your gut, you can use research, but if you personally see a trend coming, the publisher still might turn you down because they don't see the trend coming. So Mm -hmm. it's not the easiest if you in your gut know that this is going to be big. I can think of an example. There was very few books being greenlit about um, tacos where there was not much happening in tacos about this is like about a decade ago. And I remember asking publishers and I said, this is like, there's so many great, you know, creative people out there, you know, they're grinding their own masa, they're doing this and that. And they're like, well, that might be happening now, but 
we can't necessarily, you know, pull the trigger on something. We don't know what it's going to be like in two years. We can look at past sales records, which is what they use a lot of times to identify what books are going to sell. And they can say, you know, we had these Mexican cookbooks. They didn't really sell that well unless you were on TV. Not fair, but that's kind of the old traditional model. And I feel like still publishing is in that old traditional model. I don't know. Is it changing? Are you seeing change? It's like, this is something I don't want to be a trend, but I'm seeing publishers lately, it feels like taking more risks, trying to bring in more voices, more different types of food, go deeper on different types of food that weren't always explored. You know, I mean, again, I think we've talked about Italian food and that's just a perennial seller in the United States. People love Italian food, but things that are less well-known, it does feel like publishers are open to that. And I'm hoping that's not a trend. You know, I'm hoping, again, like Molly said, that's a shift in the way we do things. When we talked to Matt Robbard um, about Koreatown, Korea World that he did with Doogie Hong and how he had such a hard time getting that first book, Koreatown, published because he was told it was too niche. And it's like... Yeah, and a trend. Like, they thought it was a passing trend, right. Korean food. And it's like an entire cuisine. That's another thing. Like, calling entire cuisines trends. Right. It bothers me. Yeah. But I I actually think he was sort of, it's a shift. Mm. Right. That's a shift. And that's a good point where he saw, he saw this happening Mm -hmm. and he had to work really hard to convince publishers that it was something that was going to last. And then, you know, the book ended up, I think on the New York Times bestseller list, and then it was proof of concept. And all of a sudden, have you noticed that ever (laughs) since there's been pretty much every year, there's a few great Korean books that come out. Yeah. Um, Um, And it's a steadily growing kind of, um, it's becoming its own genre. So that's also very exciting to see. And I think that's what we're seeing more that that might be, you know, if there's butterboard cookbooks that are coming out there, nothing wrong. If you're writing a butterboard cookbook, you go for it. But, you know, capitalize on that trend. I don't know 10 years from now if people are going to want to publish butterboards. Who knows? Maybe it becomes its own thing. You love everything cookbooks, right? And we love making it for you. Here's your chance to help us keep it going. Go to everythingcookbooks.com slash support. There you'll find links to all our new great merch, including t-shirts, sweatshirts, even a hat, and our bookstore where we earn commission on every book you buy. You can also leave us a review wherever you listen to the show. Again, that's everythingcookbooks.com slash support to find all the ways to show us the love. And thanks for listening. It's funny, we're we're using the word trend. And I also, you know, we're talking about things that aren't trends, too. We're talking mm-hmm. about things that are, you know, trying to teach people about food that they might not have known about before, or that sort of thing. And, but the trend is having books that, that don't just look like the books that were in my cookbook library 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. And that publishing is very slow to move. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be a trend in publishing now is that publishing seems like it's moving a little more quickly. I mean, another conversation we could have are what are the trends in cookbook publishing? Because that's a separate conversation. But right. um, and I think we're, we're, we might be mixing up a little bit. I think I am when I start thinking about like, you know, we should we should do that for 2024, do an episode on cookbook trends, like sort of single subject, this, that, the other thing. But for now, thinking about food trends and thinking about it in the most generic way, when you're thinking a trend, you mean we're going to be 
talking. Okay. In the past, trend cookbooks that have sold really well have been special diet cookbooks, like the Atkins diet. And then people were Mm -hmm. like, I want to do this diet. I need a book. Or, you know, more recently, the Whole30. I mean, any kind of cookbook that embraced Whole30 sold really well. So those are like sort of like, I would say they're trend books. They're perennial trends. There's always going to be that other, that next level health sort of Mm -hmm. thing that people want to try and then they need recipes. So that's Mm -hmm. sort of a trend Mm -hmm. genre. (laughs) Well, then they branded those things. So then Mm. it was like, you know, you couldn't just write a whole 30 cookbook probably without like licensing. You had to sort of dance around what you called it. (laughs) And also like going back to why we decided to talk about this in an episode is because we know that a lot of our listeners want to write cookbooks or are working on cookbooks and are looking for a great idea, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you look around and you think, I know I really want to write a cookbook. What's a good idea? You know, back to episode one or two <laughs> or whatever. And sometimes that does mean looking for something that you think might capture the public's imagination or, or, or taste. Just make sure you know a lot about it, yeah. right? Make sure you know a lot about it. And what I'm wondering is like, can book based on a trend be great? Because I was just looking at all these like best of lists. Most of those books are very individual. It's because of the author, because of their expertise and their special flavor that mm-hmm. they bring to something. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's why they end up on those lists. So I was just trying to mull like, can a trend based book be great? I would say it might not need to, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. And I think the reason mm-hmm. to do a trend book is A, you like the trend. Yeah. And B, if it's going to be a lucrative thing that pays you money you and you mm-hmm. want to do it and you have the capacity to do it and you're getting the opportunity, why not? And I'm thinking yeah. Yeah. about um, anybody who really was able to capitalize on the Instant Pot cookbook sort of mm-hmm. genre mm-hmm. Uh, when it was in its height. You know, some of those books, uh, their first print run would be maybe 70,000 copies. I mean, yeah. that's bananas. But yeah. if you're able to sustain a business because you have this hey, it could be a hit in this genre. Maybe you could run the risk of getting typecast as somebody who only writes these books. Mm. However, you're making a living as a writer. And I think that's also something that's pretty cool. So Mm -hmm. sometimes I look at the best of lists and they do have that sort of individual, a lot of them have that sort of really passionate story or Mm -hmm. real unique sort of approach to a subject or a family story or a way to cook. But you know, when you think of the broader audience that buys cookbooks, oftentimes they might be looking for something else. And there's no shame in going after that market. It's actually reminding me of your chat with Bonnie Benwick. Just, I mean, she specifically wrote the article about Joanna Gaines and the Magnolia Table and all that. But basically, sometimes the food press is not always in touch with the general public, right? (laughs) True. (laughs) Right. So is there any final words for somebody who might be really into a particular trend they're seeing and are thinking of what it would take to craft a book around it? Anything we'd want to tell them that maybe things to, to look into, things to think through before going in that direction? I do think it is useful when you're writing a proposal to try to make a case that there is a trend of some sort that will help propel your book. And, you know, that that can be like looking at what's going on in restaurants. It could be things like Google Trends, you know, looking at what articles have been done in the last year that might fall into the kinds of food you do. It doesn't necessarily need to be something that everybody's talking about. It kind of goes back to Molly's idea of like synthesizing. But I think that is important. 
because you you know you want to say like people are already interested in these things and this book fills that and actually molly i'm thinking about you know when you wrote all about brazing you pitched that book a while before it was published and i remember you saying like brazing wasn't a word right but could you see that it was coming or were you just yeah it's interesting because i'm thinking about it in um, light of this conversation what you said earlier Kristen, about nostalgia Mm-hmm. And I think that was my, that was why I chose brazing. I mean, it chose brazing because I love brazing, but it's such an old technique and it's so ingrained in anybody who, you know, has cooked for a long time, home cooking, professional cooking. So I believed in it. I was like, this, this is not mm-hmm. going away. This is, but there were no books on brazing. There were books on mm-hmm. stewing that would encompass brazing. There were chapters on brazing in sort of, so it was a, I guess it was a risk or it was sort of like, I don't know why nobody's ever done this. But when I pitched the book, and I know I've told this story on the podcast, but just so you're saying, Chris, the word was not hmm. common. Common. Yeah. And while I was working on the book, I don't know if the New York Times, I'm sure it still does, the magazine does the, they did an A, alphabetical A is for B is for, for for the trends of the year, and that, oh. while, right before I turned it in, B was for brazing. Wow! Oh my gosh! And I oh. like called up my editor. I'm like, well, you know, jumping up and down because <laughs> the word started to become common. Um, and when the book came out, within two years, there were two more brazing books that other people were working on before mine came out. So it was like it was this little moment. I, I didn't predict it, but it was findings. It was back to looking for something that you know was not going away, but perhaps is undercovered or under, you know, mm-hmm. it has been not represented in cookbooks. That reminds me of some of the books that came out well before the pandemic about a baking with right. sourdough starter right. and yeah. how those books just shot up in sales. They had already been strong sellers, but is it classic subject that was getting renewed attention they, I mean, I don't know how many copies that um, Ken Forkish's baking books have sold, but I'm imagining it's quite quite a number. And uh, that's something to think about, too, if you're embarking on something. Personally, I wouldn't chase a trend book for my own name because it wouldn't make sense with what I do. And I feel like it would just confuse sort of like, what does she write about? She writes about this and now she writes about that. But if I had built sort of a platform on something, I think it would make sense because you're going to you want that book to stay in print for a while. So you want to think about doing I want this? Like, I think we've all sort of talked about how does this fit into who you are? But I really like, Kristen, what you mentioned that no matter what kind of book you imagine yourself writing, thinking about how it fits into the world today, that's a really strong part of your proposal. There's going to be that section. Why this book now? Mm -hmm. And the way you do that isn't because I want to write this book now. You talk about sort of these other macro and micro factors happening in the world that can make your argument stronger. Quick note, Google Trends. Kristen, you brought that up. What is the best mm-hmm. way to leverage that when you are, say, either looking for trends or looking for like information to plug into a proposal? Well, so let's say you wanted to write a book about snacking boards. I mean, it's already a trend, right? We know it. But you could definitely look, like go into Google Trends and see the search volume and I think it's updated monthly and how how it has moved over time. But then maybe you expand out from there. So you mentioned girl dinner. Girl dinner is a trend. I might also go to TikTok. Like how many times has that been mentioned on TikTok? And another thing is there's something called E-Rank. And you can search like what people are looking for on Etsy. And I believe also Amazon. So if there's anything that's like in your wheelhouse, I feel like you can use that to just get an idea of what people are looking for and places where they might be underserved. Listening to that, that's super helpful that 
that would be uh, what I would use once I've already decided on the cookbook idea and I'm trying to write yeah. my proposal and say, yeah, say why this book now, not how I'm going to come up with my cookbook proposal. I agree. and Or, or if you're deciding between a couple of ideas, right. that's another right. potential use for it. But it's true. I, I think of using things like E-Rank or even Google Trends, like if you just want to like create a quick product to fill a hole in the market, but a book is not a quick product. Right, right. But so. a great way to justify, you know, in your proposal, why this book now, you might find substantiating information there, yeah. I think. That's really good. Just just to think also, um, sometimes you get an idea for a book and you're just like, oh my God, this is going to just be so great. <laughs> and I can't wait to tell everybody about it. And you haven't really sat with it long enough. And then all you just can't wait. You're going to tell your agent or you're going to tell your editor. You're just going to tell your your best friend, your dog, I don't know. And then everyone kind of looks at you like, huh, you know, I'll go back to my Koji fermented ice cream example, which makes no sense in this context. But just because it's just sort of like, that would be a very niche book. But I'm like, oh, I'm going to be the first one to do this book. And um, maybe if I had just sat on that idea for a couple of weeks, maybe think it through, like what a proposal would look like, what it would be like to write this book. And then I go into looking at the trends. Mm. That might be a better kind of way to, to approach things. Um, just because I think sometimes you get this idea and you think it's so exciting. Maybe in a week, it's not that a new shiny object anymore. It's more for you. I was going to say more like, be careful of who you tell because mm. some people are not in your world. And they're going to say, oh, no, I don't know anything about that. Oh, true. And I would also say when you say be careful who you tell, not because you think someone's going to steal the idea. I, I just no, don't. No. I, I've yeah. heard people say that. It's like, well, I don't want to tell you because, you know, somebody might take. It's like, eh, that's not a reality for me. You're going to do it the way you do it. And people are going to find out about it anyway. I, I just don't think that idea that you have a secret. Yeah. I think this this has been a fun chat about trends. I mean, I don't, we went all over the place yeah. and, and, you know, maybe by the end of this episode, after you're done listening to it, skinny jeans will be back in. So I don't oh, know. Things, yes. Lots of things can happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, to, to wrap up our episode, since it's our end of the year, um, I just wanted to know, let's talk a little bit about any sort of things you're really excited to do in 2024, whether that's hobbies, new projects, any goals? What uh, what comes to mind, Molly? Well, I have to say this uh, host chat. I really, we, we don't do as many of them as we used to. And I really do uh, enjoy just, I mean, I love our guests, but I think it's really fun to, to talk among us and get Andrea back on too. But um, I'm just super excited about where the podcast is going and the community that we're building and the insider series that we're producing. And you know, I didn't know a year ago where we'd be with this. And now, whatever, episode 75, I just am excited about next year for Everything Cookbooks is a really a big part of my 2024. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's crazy. You can't beat that answer. Yeah. That's an amazing answer. Yeah. <laughs> Kristen, what about you? I agree, Molly. I, I'm excited. We are going to do more workshops next year. We've done I think three or so, so far. Um, and just try to get more into the nitty gritty in ways that can help our listeners. And I too am very excited about that. And then personally, I have a book collaboration deadline in July and I am very excited to like move that along. Great. That's great. I think that if anyone does have ideas for things that they would love to see in our insider series to send us an email through Everything Cookbooks and we will take that into consideration if it's something about cook the cookbook writing craft, if it's something about building platforms, anything like that that you are excited for more information in a way that we can give in our insider series, let us know 
Um, we'd love to hear your feedback. As far as um, I agree with everything Molly and Kristen said about this podcast, I love this community. Um, all of our listeners, I'm so grateful for all of you. So thank you for that. Um, and then on a personal note, I am finishing up a manuscript for my very first novel. So that means that I still have a Whoa. long way to go yeah. to edit it and, and all that. So um, that is what I'm really excited to do personally in 2024 is really give it that real shape of a book. So that's so um, cool. learning the craft from a whole different side. And that's been really interesting because I feel like, oh, this is the stuff I took a while to learn writing cookbooks. And now I have to learn sort of starting from scratch with fiction. That's great. Oh, and another thing I'm super excited about is to help people write their cookbook proposals starting in January. I have an eight-week class going and we are going to dive deep into proposal writing and also how to pitch it to an agent. So if that is interesting at all to you, you can find more info at kristendonnelly.com. Cool. And do you have a wait, if it fills up or when it fills up, will you have a wait list for? Yes, yes, yes. So it's open to 20 students. There will be a wait list. And I'll, if you sign up for my email list, I'll have a lot more information. I want to go back and start all over and be an aspiring know. cookbook author and listen to this podcast and take Kristen's class and start all <laughs> over again. There's so I wish I had Kristen's class, you know, when I started out because, wow, my first proposal was pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest. What a great resource. Um, and it also shows that, you know, you can start with your idea and you can keep learning and you can keep building on it and create it and, you know, turn it into an actual book someday. So very, very exciting. Thank you both for, for talking with me about trends and burrata and raspberry vinaigrette <laughs> and all the fun stuff. I'm going to get some sun-dried tomatoes and look up Martha's recipe now. I think it was for cabbage rolls, which is perfect Ooh, yeah. this time nacho of year. Nacho cheese boards awesome. for I'm going to leave for the nacho New cheese Eve, yeah. Or baked potato bars. Baked potato bars. I yes. remember yeah, I wrote an article yeah. about Did baked you? potato yeah, bars. Yeah, well, let's bring them back because that sounds let's delicious. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm here for it. Okay. I'm here for it. Yeah. Sponsored by the Idaho Potato yeah. Foundation. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. That is great. Thanks, everyone. And that's a wrap. Kate, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to Everything Cookbooks. For more info and ways to support us, go to our website, everythingcookbooks.com. The show is available wherever you get your audio. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. It really helps other people find the show. Any book mentioned here can be found on our affiliate page at bookshop.org. Thanks again, as always, to our editor, Abby Cirquitella. And until next time and next year, keep on writing, reading, and cooking. Cooking.